Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Comic Source Podcast. I'm your host, Jace. And this is Jay. And this is your new Comics Wednesday episode for January 12th, 2022. Second new comic book day of the year. A lot of good books this week. Uh, a lot of great Marvel books, especially. Uh, the Devil's Reign storyline really expanded this week into uh, a much bigger event than I expected. And it's interesting because it's sort of going in directions that I didn't really expect it to go into, which is kind of weird. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll talk about what I mean when we, when we dive into some of the books, but um, don't forget to check out our daily spawn uh, project that we're doing where we're reading every issue of uh, the main series of spawn to celebrate the 30th anniversary of spawn. Um, the first 12 we're in December for the 12 days of Spawn Miss. And then ever since the new year started, we've been releasing one a day. So we hope you're checking those out. And also, if you're looking for uh, reviews of the DC books that came out on the 11th, you'll have to check out our DC Spotlight episode. That does have spoilers. We go in-depth with uh, what happens in plot lines and events and cliffhangers and theories and all that kind of stuff, as opposed to the new Comic Wednesday episode, which is always spoiler-free. So let's kick it off with Amazing Spider-Man. We're still telling the story of the Beyond Corporation. This is issue 85. It's written by Cody Ziegler. Pencils are by Paco Medina. We have Walden Wong, Wayne Falker, Paco Medina, Andrew Hennessy, Victor Olasaba, and Roberto Poggi as anchors. Uh, Espen Grutrigen does the colors. Joe Caramagna on letters. And it's uh, it's Doc Ock versus Spider-Man. So what'd you think, Jay? It's pretty good. It's uh, Beyond Chapter 11. So I don't know how many chapters is going to be, I guess, focusing on the Beyond Corporation. But it's good because from the last issue, we know Doc Ock was heading towards the uh, Beyond uh, Corporation because he wanted to get back his technology. It's good. Like I said, it's pretty much a fight between uh, Sp Spidey and uh, Doc Ock. But it's funny because Doc Ock, you know, uh, not to get away, but he kind of can tell that there's something different about this Spidey. He, uh, the ending was really good. I don't want to give away too much, but uh, he was there for one particular, uh, the end, and uh, he kind of gives heads up to Spidey. And I mean, we kind of, I guess, revealing more of who uh, this corporation really is. You know, I guess their their shells or uh, layers are trying to peel away, and we're trying to get more and more of what's going on. And I guess uh, we'll get a different uh, look at the corporation through Ben's eyes because now he's got like a better idea of what's going on. So yeah, it was it was solid. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing about Doc Ock. Ever since he became Superior Spider-Man, you know, whenever he be returned to being a villain, I mean, they even had the su Superior Octopus one shot and another su Superior Spider-Man series. He's not quite the same evil old Doc Ock that he used to be, but he's not quite a good guy either. You know, like. You'd say, well, you know, whose side is he on? Well, he's on his own side, you know, <laughs> um, and he certainly feels that the, he's more, you know, you know, righteous and deserving of um, or, or closer to the side of angels. Let me put it that way. than the Beyond Corporation, clearly he thinks that there's they are are evil. Um, and ultimately, the battle that he has with Spider-Man, Ben Riley version, obviously not the, the version he took over. Uh, goes a certain way because it has everything to, to do with that. So, yeah, I, I think this issue is going to have a lot of ramifications. So, um, and as we've felt throughout, 
the series, the Beyond Corporation, they're they're up to no good. Uh, and that seems to be, there seem to be some more hints of that. So, uh, okay, my first book I'm going to talk about is also uh, a Marvel book. It's Dark Ages. We're up to issue number four. This is from writer Tom Taylor. Eben Coelho is the artist. Colors by Brian Reber. Letters by Joe Sabino. So just a reminder what's going on in this sort of Elseworlds Marvel tale. There's this being of immense power, and he's... Uh, basically imprisoned in the center of the earth. He's called the Unmaker. And in order to destroy him, Dr. Strange had to create this EMP spell, which knocked out all electricity on earth. But then he was, Dr. Strange was killed by the Unmaker before he could dispel that spell. And so there's still no electricity on earth. And that's why everything's been plunged in the dark ages. And the heroes have done their best to try to save civilization. And there's various outposts and whatnot. Uh, Europe is controlled by apocalypse who actually has electricity because he's got Magneto trapped in a Faraday cage. So the EMP spell doesn't affect him. And they're using Magneto as like a human battery to basically funnel their uh, electricity. So the reason they're doing this is because Apocalypse wants to attack the Endmaker and take his power. So we've seen some brutal stuff go down so far. Uh, the heroes, when they found out that Reed Richards had been kidnapped, and taken to Europe to work for Apocalypse, the hero sent Quicksilver to do recon. But as, even as fast as Quicksilver is, he got captured and brainwashed. And he, they, uh, Apocalypse sent him back as this double sleeper agent, and he killed Human Torch. And it was a brutal, brutal scene. Um, and you know, much like Tom Taylor did in his deceased series, <clears throat> he pulls no punches, right? And these are, like I said. Elseworlds Tales, so he gets to shock people by by killing beloved heroes, and you know that nobody is safe in a in a Tom Taylor comic. So it it raises the stakes and it provides for a, a really interesting story. And now that the heroes know that what Apocalypse is planning, they are uh, working on a rec rescue mission uh, slash attack on Apocalypse. They want to free Magneto weaken apocalypse's power uh as well as rescue reed richards and i think tony stark is over there as well um and so we see how they in this issue we see how they are going to get over there and we see a couple of really classic marvel heroes um and the best thing about this is in a world with no power how tom taylor repurposes famous marvel objects and characters to do different things that make complete sense and are really cool in this world that he's created right like for example uh if you have a ship that needs to be um manned by a crew but you don't always have enough power to move that big ship like who should be the person that crews that ship so that you can cut corners when you need to. And I know that's kind of vague and you're probably like, what the hell are you talking about? Again, I don't want to spoil because it's such a cool moment when you find out um, it makes like complete and total sense. Uh, we also see storm in this issue and she's aged and uh, has, has been through the wars as well as a lot of the other heroes. And it, it was great to see her. I, I love the way um, Coella dr draws her um, shows her age shows her um experience you know she's 
she's battle worn. I'll put it that way, but still very beautiful. Uh, her, her costume design is fantastic. Like I just, I just loved it. Like I love seeing her. I love seeing Nightcrawler. Um, and I loved kind of the villains that attack toward the end. Again, I won't give it away who it is, but it's just a really cool concept. And it's, uh, it's Tom Taylor taking, you know, classic heroes and classic ideas from Marvel, flipping them on their head um, and giving us this really cool story. Uh, and then the hero that shows up at the end to kind of save the day is, uh, is a lot of fun too. So uh like this is just a fantastic series there's there's no other way to put it uh it's it, it's not as kind of emotionally sad or depressing uh, i mean the dc story was so was so heavy emotionally you know and you felt you felt kind of defeated um which is interesting this, this marvel story despite it being in the dark ages despite them being the heroes being really with their backs up against the wall there's there's a feeling of of hope there's a feeling of positivity that these heroes exude that uh that exists here in this book it, very different feel for uh, in tone from deceased so i'm i'm really enjoying this um maybe even more than i than i like deceased actually so uh all right up next, we have Daredevil Woman Without Fear. It doesn't say it's a mini, but you know, obviously it is. Ties in very much with what's going on in the uh, Devil's Reign series from Chip Zdarsky. This is also written by Chip Zdarsky. The art is by Raphael Della Torre. Color art is by Frederico Blee. Letters are by Clayton Cowles. And as you might guess from the cover or the title, Woman Without Fear, it's all about Daredevil, but this time it's Electra who's daredevil so what'd you think of this one jay it was good i like it i've always been an electra fan uh even with daredevil and the whole uh when she was dead and came back from the dead and all that um i like this because the little bubbles you get to see what she's actually thinking and you know she's got to try to process everything that's going on with uh with fisk uh, wilson with the hand with 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 her boyfriend matt it's just a lot for her to try to consume so she's just trying to uh process it all but she gets a visit from, I guess, an old mentor in the story. Um, it's a lot of action in this one, which I liked a lot. Um, the very end, we get a surprise, I guess, from another villain that I was kind of wasn't expecting that at the end of this uh, uh, issue. But it, it'd be a good matchup. I thought it was really going to be a really fun matchup because of how they both uh, fight and how they, uh, I guess, hunt because she's a ninja. But it was fun. And the next one should be pretty, should be a bigger blast, I think. Yeah, I as much as I'm not really an Electra fan, this was a lot of fun. It's, you know, he's, he's retconning some things. Chip Zdarsky's retconning some things, but again, he's not contradicting anything that's come before. He's being very additive. Uh, I still don't know how I feel about Electra with the mantle of Daredevil, but you know, it, it makes sense. I mean, she obviously has ties to Matt Murdock from way back, you know, a personal, very close relationship with him. They have similar powers. Um, so, yeah, it does make sense. This is action-packed, like you said, which is interesting because the the books that I've, the Marvel books I've read from uh, Chip Zdarsky previous to this, it seems like early on he'll lean into the emotional aspects of the story. And then once he's established that, we start getting the action. Here he just starts out with the action. So maybe he feels he's already established the emotional connection with Electra in the regular Daredevil series. I'm not really sure. Um, 
but it's a little bit of a different feel, um, a little more of a kind of a classic feel to the comic, classic Marvel comic than uh, than I've felt before from reading Zdarsky. And yeah, the surprise villain that shows up at the end was interesting. Um, my gut says that Electra will take him out pretty convincingly. Um, but I don't know, maybe I underrate that villain. I guess we'll see. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking the same thing, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah. And also the art, the uh, the line work from uh, Della Torre and the color work from Blee is uh, fantastic. Like pitch perfect. It's not really bright, you know, so it doesn't have that classic super heroic feel, but it shouldn't because Electra is more of a dark character, but it doesn't go so dark that it's muddy. It, the colors are just a little muted and it suits the tone perfectly you know there's scenes where she's outside it's it's winter time there's snow so you know the skies are overcast it just gives everything kind of a darker ominous feel and uh, i think it works really well for the tone that zadarsky is going for uh okay next book i'm going to talk about is an image book department of truth we're up to issue 15 uh this is the mothman issue really interesting um format and structure that Tynan takes here. So there's no, this isn't a traditional comic in terms of, you know, you, you open up the page and there's a bunch of panels, there's word balloons, there's people talking. No, we get, we get text pages that are like, uh, if you've ever seen like court documents where every line is numbered, uh, you know, when it's somebody's testimony and what have you, that we get um, some, kind of script looking pages where one person who is name is redacted is interviewing another person. We're getting their responses. We get some big splash pages uh, of events that are being described in the, these other pages um, that are, I mean, beautiful art, just, just gorgeous. Um, I'm, I wasn't really that familiar with the, uh, kind of the origins of the Mothman um, phenomenon, I guess you'd call it. So uh, I think this did a good job of introducing the origins of that. And, and overall, just, just a really great issue. One of, one of the better issues in a while. I loved the unique structure and the way that Tynan um, told the story, basically. Uh, and the art, and this one's by David Romero, so it's not the normal Martin Simons. Uh, and it, it is a little, you know, it's did, like looks like digital watercolor. Um, which I typically don't enjoy, but you know this, this Department of Truth book has always been very much impressionist, impressionistic style. Um, you know, watercolor; it's not clean lines or anything like that. Which again, it, it suits the, what the book is trying to do, which is be kind of ominous and mysterious and whatnot. So, great job by David Romero doing the art. Aditya Bidikar is on the letters, and and she always does a great job. And obviously, much different than what she's used to doing because uh, we get a lot of text pages in this one. So. Uh, Really interesting. Got a little history of the Department of Truth in some of these text pages. Uh, Tynan's building a very interesting world here. And it ties in so well with the stuff he's doing on, on Substack as well. So that's interesting as well. Uh, okay. Let's see. Up next, we have Bloodstone. Uh, this is The Death of Doctor Strange Bloodstone One-Shot. It's by writer Tinny Howard. Art is by Iguara. Colors are by Diho Lima. Letters by Joe Caramagna. And uh, Jay and I were talking before we started. We both have some some copies of the Bloodstone um, when Elsa 
the Bloodstone comic when Elsa Bloodstone first appeared, which just came out of nowhere, like in the late 90s, or early 2000s that they introduced her. I don't know why they changed her hair red. I really prefer it <laughs> to be blonde. I think she looks a lot better. But she's shown up in a lot of books since that original series. And even though I have that series, I never read it. And I know she's, like I said, she's shown up, you know, between then and now and has had red hair. Um, but this is the first time I ever had read a, 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 an Elsa Bloodstone comic. So uh, what were your thoughts on it, Jay? Well, I do like the character. And like I said, I don't know why she's a redhead, I guess, because there's enough redheads in the Marvel Universe. Right? <laughs> I, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, so I asked what, what happened to her. But uh, I know she did date uh, Deadpool for a while. So that's like one of her things that I guess she known for. But uh, I was looking forward to because, like I said, her, her father you know, has that magic stone. So I guess there's magic. So I guess it makes sense that she would be involved with, uh, you know, the Sword Supreme gone and the barriers are gone. It's a good story. Uh, it's pretty much like a family story of because uh, we know she has a brother and they both are trying to because uh, our father was originally trying to stop a, a demon from coming and take over the earth. So he, he locked that demon away. But with the barrier gone and the magic kind of doing its thing kind of created havoc and i don't give away too much but there's a i guess a new character in this i guess so it kind of it's kind of it's i, I don't know if they did that on purpose to, to introduce the new character but i liked it the artwork was was clean um it was just it was fun like i said i do like that character so i guess we're just getting a little bit of more of a, of a character but i think it was more to, to introduce the new character in the in the family i guess but i liked it i'm looking at them so it was it was a good one shot yeah i wonder how important that character is going to be and I, I wasn't even sure if that character was really who they claimed to be at the beginning so yeah i mean like i said the we both have copies of that bloodstone number one which is worth a decent amount um and now this possibly this i mean because nobody i mean the reason it's worth so much is because she's rumored to be showing up in the mcu at some point or getting her own marvel show or whatever um but you wonder okay so if this new character shows up on that show could because I don't think a lot of people are even will even realize that there's a new character in this and we'll pick it up. So could this also be worth some money down the line? So speculator alert, you guys might want to do yourselves a favor and pick this up. But the Iguera art I think is fantastic. So I've seen his art previously. He did the this the image series with Meredith Finch. Um, God, what the heck is it called? Uh, from Image, we I covered it on the show. And it was it was fantastic. Um, now it his art Igwer's art in in that series uh, was a little little looser. Um, here it's a little tighter. Uh, it was called Rose. That's what it was called. Um, and it was a fantasy uh, comic, fantasy story. Uh, but yeah, his pencil his pencil work, his line work is a little tighter here. Um, but yeah, he, he does a good job. He what he does really well is really kinetic looking action scenes. Uh, and although this isn't fantasy, like Rose was, you know, it's magic and there's monsters and all kinds of crazy powers going across the screen. And there was plenty of magic and whatnot in that Rose series as well. So yeah, he does a, he does a fantastic job. Uh, hope to see more work from him at Marvel. I think he's a really, really talented artist. So the cover uh, was nice. The cover was really, I'm sorry, but as I said, the yeah. cover was gorgeous. And uh, yeah, I you get the shop pick it up because i was on ebay just curious it's already been out there and this book's already being sold for quite a bit of money already it's like people are asking like ten dollars fifteen bucks already 
Wow. It just came out. I was like, it's not even in the stores yet. But yeah, people are asking for that much. The variant, forget about it. It's in the $50 range now. Wow. Is it uh, oh, the, one of, the one of 10 variant? Yeah. The, yeah the, one, of, one of 10 yeah. is nothing. Oh, she's on the cover. I mean, it says right there on the cover. Yeah. I don't want to spoil it, but yeah. Yeah. So that's why. So it's like, yeah, if you're, you know, a prospect, I mean, th- there you go. But I just got it because I enjoy the character. <laughs> yeah. I just got lucky with the uh, that first series. Yep. Same. Uh, okay. Let me talk about the next book. I'm going to talk about speaking of Devil's Reign. We have Devil's Reign Superior 4. Uh, this is written by Zach Thompson. The art is by David Tinto. Uh, Matt Miller does the colors. The letters are by Ariana Mayer. Uh, so, and this is what I was talking about when I was saying Devil's Reign is becoming a much bigger story than we than we thought, and in different ways, right? Like the whole Devil's Reign story is about Kingpin realizing that he used to know who Daredevil was, and his mind has been tampered with, and it pisses him off, and he basically enacts like the Civil War laws, right, from like Marvel Civil War, where the Superhuman Registration Act. Um, obviously, he's not he's not president, doesn't rule or. or preside over all the u.s but he is mayor of new york so as far as new york is concerned you you can't have any any superheroes no superheroes in new york can't wear costume can't you know none of that stuff so uh and he's done the same thing that that they did back in civil war so it it does feel a little bit derivative in in terms of you know he's got these villains on his payroll and and he's deputized them and that they are the good guys supposedly the law enforcement and he's trying to you know capture all all of the heroes. Um, so a very street level sort of straightforward story. Right. But in the midst of that, he's turned over the fantastic four, the Baxter building to Dr. Octopus. Um, and Doc Ock, I guess is supposed to go there and find out if there's anything the King can, can use, but Dr. Octopus is like, we said, when we were talking about the amazing Spider-Man issue, Dr. Octopus isn't on Kingpin's side and he's not on the fantastic four side. He's on his own side. So he's going to go in there and do what the hell he wants to do. And what he's decided to do is recruit other versions of himself because he's looking to supplant Kingpin and not only take over New York City, but take over the whole world. Um, and he's going to do that by traveling to different dimensions in the multiverse of Marvel and do dastardly things. <laughs> I won't give it away what, what his plan is. But when you look at it's called the superior four because, you know, he considers himself superior. That's why he was the superior Spider-Man and it's called the superior four because he recruits four other or three other um, versions of himself that are sort of mashups of like Doc Ock and a hero. So we get different versions of Doc Ock from these different universes Um and they team up with the original Otto Octavius and they go on their way. And it's just like who the four are is just really, really fun. And the versions, like the way uh, Zach Thompson writes them as mashups, they, they still have a little bit of the personality of the hero that it is as well as mashed up with the personality of, of Otto Octavius. So in, in that way, it works really well. So uh, it's just, it's just a lot of fun, but it's, it's so wild and different. And, and this um, 
this is not what I was expecting from a Devil's Reign tie-in, right? The fact that they're traveling different dimensions and yeah, it's 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 fantastic. And and the the mashup that shows up on the last page uh, was great as well. Looks like it's going to be a, a a villain or or maybe the main antagonist of the, of the Superior Force. So just a really really cool idea. I don't know if Zach Thompson came up with the idea or if. Um, if Chip Zdarsky did and handed it off to Thompson, but it's, it's inspired. And I could definitely see it being popular enough that more people will, or enough people will pick it up that uh, we can see another, another series, another superior four series down the line. So uh, did you, did you check out that issue, uh, that series at all, Jay? Yeah, I did. It was actually pretty fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I just like Doc Ock. Cause like you said, his Doc Ock, Doc Ock, you know, but yeah. uh, I, like I said, ever since he became Spider-Man for a while, like, you know, superior Spider-Man, there's, he's a little bit different than he used to be. Yeah. Yeah. He's not that mush, mustache twirling um, two-dimensional hero anymore. He's, he's much more fleshed out. So uh, anyway, speaking of Fantastic Four, that's the book up next. We're up to issue 39, written by Dan Slott. Francesco Mana is the artist. Jesus Arbatov does the colors. Joe Caramagna on letters. I feel like Joe Caramagna letters like every single Marvel book, man. I don't know when the guy's, <laughs> uh, but anyway, what's really interesting. What's been going on. We know that uh, as part of the future foundation, Bentley, who is basically a, a clone of the wizard is uh, kind of the, the adopted son of dragon man. And supposedly the original wizard shows up and, and sues dragon man for custody of his clone and so for the last couple of issues, Fantastic Four and Dragon Man have been in court, uh, in family court, trying to prove that they uh, are worthy of being the guardians of this Bentley 23. Um, but the wizard has managed to manipulate things to make all of them the Fantastic Four. So Ben Grimm and Alicia and Reed and Sue look like bad parents to the point that now maybe they're going to lose their kids. So uh dan slot really leaning into the family feel of uh of the fantastic four and this this is the it resolves the, the storyline but still leaves it open-ended for more to come it even says at the end the end for now uh but i really enjoyed this what did you think jay that was good i always been a huge fantastic four fan but i always did like the covers terry dodson i mean come on I mean, it's terry dodson <laughs> But uh, it's fun uh, because, like, the second uh, day in court, that's what this whole deal is like. Is I guess the first one was a big old blowout. <laughs> so they're going back for, you know, a second try at the court. It's good. Uh, you get more Johnny. You know, he's dealing with that issue, too, from uh, Doc Doom, you know, making him like a supernova at all times. He's got to wear that suit. And he's a little kind of PO'd in this issue because he wants uh, Mr. Fantastic to fix him, like, right now, right then. But he's like, no, we got to take care of the family. It's like a little heated argument between him and his sister. He almost kind of crosses the line and almost makes uh, another superhero kind of mad at his territory. He got lucky they told him just to get out of there because I wouldn't want to mess with him. And Johnny knows he can't take him. So yeah. that was fun. <laughs> um, like I said, the ending is kind of neat because it's like, OK, so this is the Bentley. But we found out that there's more to it. The ending, it's like I knew it. I was like, I, it wasn't a surprise. I was like, I knew, I knew it was going to happen. You know, like I said, more to come. I was like, yeah, obviously, because, you know. We know who he is, <laughs> but yeah, it was a good, it's a, it was a good story. Yeah. Dan Slott's killing it on, on fantastic four. Um, hopefully he's going to be on it for a good, good long time. Uh, okay. 
Let's see. Up next, I have Darkhawk number five. This is from writer Kyle Higgins. Juan and Ramirez does the art. Eric Arsenega on colors. Travis Lanham on letters. There you go. There's somebody besides Joe Caramagna. Uh, I think this is the final issue of the series, which I didn't realize this was a limited. I thought it was an ongoing, but on the last page, we get the end question mark. And uh, just like Kyle Higgins often does, he does such a great job of mixing in like personal emotion and taking his characters on a, on real journeys of growth. Um, but he never forgets that it's a superhero comic and we get plenty of action. Uh, we get guest stars, we get stakes, we get consequences, and we get fantastic art from Juan and Ramirez. So I highly recommend this Darkhawk series. I never, I never had read a single Darkhawk comic in my life. And the first issue of this one didn't really grab me, but like I always tell you guys, you got to read at least two issues of a book before you give up on it. And, you know, plus it was Kyle Higgins and I, you know, I love everything Kyle does. So I was kind of surprised that the first issue didn't really hook me. Uh, but by the second issue, I was definitely hooked. Um, and I've been a fan of it throughout. It's only gotten better. And what's interesting is Kyle does a, such a fantastic job of making this, this main character, the new dark Hawk, Connor Young relatable and, um, uh, you know, makes us care about him, makes, gives him stakes and consequences for his life, gives him challenges beyond just the typical, oh, you got to defeat this supervillain or that supervillain or, you know, this criminal or that criminal. Like he gives him other obstacles and other stakes that are real life stuff. Um, and it, it makes for such a compelling read. You can't help but root for this kid. So uh, it's fantastic. I definitely will read more like if, if there's more dark hawk to come uh with you know this version uh, i hope kyle writes it and or at least like has a hand in it uh, in some way i know he he edits some books now so um you know if he were to do that if he were to kind of oversee it ha hand it off to somebody else to write it um but still you know that person kind of followed his um his plans, I, I would be on board as well. I just thought this was really, really great. And I'm, I'm becoming a big fan of Juan and Ramirez as well. I think his art's fantastic. A lot of bright colors here, but at the same time, it's Darkhawk. So we get plenty of, of blacks as well from Eric Arsenega, uh, but some beautiful explosions and bright colors and whatnot. So yeah, really good book. Um, I haven't heard a lot of people talking about it. So definitely check it out. It's more than just kind of an homage to the old school dark hawk it's, it's really its own thing uh okay up next we have an aftershock title i think it's our only one of the week actually uh it's maniac of new york the bronx is burning this is the second issue running in the halls and that's from writer elliot kalen andrew moody is the uh, artist and does the colors and then we have taylor esposito on letters and oh boy, I always forget how great this book is and how the, the shit is always hitting the fan in this book for uh, for whatever reason. And I, I, again, I'm just the most horrific thing about this book. And we've talked I've talked to Elliot Kalen about it when he's been on the show and he'll be coming back on to talk about it soon. Um, it's not even the maniac himself and him going around killing people, or whatever. It's the fact that the people of New York have to just live with it because the powers that be have sort of given up. And the scariest part is that you, you know, you could have asked me 10 years ago if this could happen in real life. And I would say no way. And now with the way people have seemed seem to just accept the pandemic have seemed to accept 
so much social injustice, I could easily see the powers that be in a situation like this going, eh, sorry, you just got to live with this guy who's going around stabbing and killing people. That's the mo- that's the scariest thing about this book. Um, anyway, what do you think about it, Jay? Oh, it's like you said, it's kind of relatable because like in New York, I mean, they don't even prosecute people for, for stealing and shoplifting. So I was like, yeah, let's this guy kill. Let's, he'll, he'll be all right. What are you going to put him in jail? I mean, they're going to let him out anyway. <laughs> but it's a fun like book. Uh, whenever there's certain titles that you send me that I open up first, this was the first one opened up, of course, because I've just been a huge fan of the writing and the art. So it's definitely my book of the week. Um, it's fun. It's a lot of blood. It's a little bit of a bloodbath, but, uh, you know, we get to see the two detectives, you know, working together again. Um, There's some animosity there, but, you know, they still got to try to complete this mission. We find more about the uh, uh, the mayor, you know, how he's very political and trying to you know cover his own tail, which is, hey, it's like almost like real life there, huh? Yeah. <laughs> we got to try to do the right thing, try to help out. But it's like it's the maniac. I mean, you're not, not going to beat this dude. Um, we get a little backstory of, of another character uh, on the train, which is kind of cool. Um, the one thing I think I, I liked a lot was like, uh, we see some characters from the first series in it, you know, um, I'm not going to get away too much, but you know, they're, they're in this little glimpses, but you also get, uh, the bunny mask, uh, references in this. If you pay attention, you'll see them in the artwork. There's two of them that I saw. I got to read it again, see if I caught it, if I missed any more, but there's definitely two in there, which is kind of funny. I'm like, ah, I, I see it. But uh, it's great. It's a great story. I'm looking forward to the the, the next one because I guess we're going to have uh, a battle royale because look, if the cops are going to do something now. Yeah, I have my doubts. <laughs> have my doubts. <laughs> or they might just be. Uh, we don't yeah. know. So, but we'll see. Yeah, we'll see how successful they are when they try to do something. But uh, all right. Up next, I have a, another image book. It's Good Asian. We're up to issue number nine. Uh, this is by a writer. Porn Sack Pichicho. The art is by uh, Alexander Tefegni. We have colors by Lee Luffridge and letters and design by Jeff Powell. This issue does a good job of, of recapping where we are to this point um, and what we know or what we think we know. But then towards the end of the issue, everything sort of gets flipped on its head and we, we you end up going, wait, what? So I love that. Love that Pornsack is uh, kind of subverting expectations in a lot of ways. And he, there's even a little essay in the back. And the, the title of the essay is, or the first line of the essay is, the series was, series was originally slated for nine issues. And then he talks about how his editor, Will Dennis, said, you know what? I think you need 10. Um, and so that's why it ends up being uh, being 10 issues. So what I love is is how much early on uh, Peaches Show leaned into the ideas of identity and, and um, you know, this, this whole story takes place during the uh, era of the Chinese Exclusion Act when uh, Chinese immigrants were banned from entering America um, in the 1930s. And, you know, the main character, Edison Hark, definitely is a, a man stuck between two worlds and he's, he's not a part of either or accepted by either because he does straddle the line, right? Like the Asians don't trust him. Chinese don't trust him because he's a cop and they see him as, as part of the, the system that um, is prejudiced against them. And then the Americans don't trust him because he's still an Asian. So he's accepted by neither. Um, and there's a lot of that that plays into the early parts of the story. Um, but when we're starting to get down to the end here, 
that prejudice is still there. Like it's built into the story. It's built into the world, but it's, it's gone into the background a little bit as the creators are focusing on like the structure of the story. And again, subverting those expectations and just giving us a fantastic detective story. Um, So I can't wait to see how this all plays out in issue number 10. And I also can't wait to read it all in one sitting uh, because I think this is one of those books where the more you read it, the more you appreciate the structure and the clues that were laid out the entire time. And you, you, you know, subsequent readings, you get more out of it. So it's, you're getting a lot of value for your comic dollar. So definitely recommend it. The art is fantastic as it's been throughout, um, you know, great street level art with, uh, some muted colors, which really, really work for the tone of the story. Uh, okay. Up next for, uh, for Jay is another devil's reign tie-in. This is Spider-Woman number 18. It's from writer Carla Pacheco. We have art by Pere Perez. Colors are by Frank D'Armada and letters by Travis Lanham. Uh, this was a lot of fun. What do you think, Jay? Oh, man. Uh, I tell you what, like we're talking about the covers. If I just saw the cover, I would pick it up. The covers were just amazing. I just love the the, the, the covers. The artwork inside is uh, spot on. I love the writing of the story. It's it was great. So you know, from last issue, we know that uh, she was pretty much set up in, in the trap. So this is pretty much well, you know, it's like a little throwdown. We start off with action right in the beginning. We got you know a fight sequence going on, which is great. Um, Jessica kind of kind of go close past that line to get more info that she needs, which is kind of nice, which I really enjoyed. Of course, you know, I, I just like like uh, I wasn't sure how the crossovers were going to work with the story, but with this and some other titles, they actually do a pretty good job. I mean, it, it's better than was it, the the black series, the Back in Black, where yeah, it was King and Black. King and Black, yeah, I didn't really. Th- I don't think that was a good tie-in, but these seem to be tie-in so much better. You know, I think I, I don't know why, but it just seems like to flow better with these stories. It's a good yeah, issue. I mean, it, it, yeah, doesn't, yeah. It, it doesn't. Like, I keep thinking of that Daredevil issue where it felt like two two different comics. Like the first half felt completely disconnected from the second half, as opposed to this, where it it just feels like this is a natural extension of the story that Carlo Pacheco was already telling. Right. It just like it just continues the story. There's no there's no pause in the story. It just right. keeps going. I love it. Like I said, the art was great. Um, the villain that comes in like at the end of this, I'm just like, oh right, because I know how evil this character is and then you know then it kind of dawns on jessica you know who it could be so the ending is is just leaves you hanging you're like oh (laughs) i'm just looking forward to the next issue and it's never been a letdown um i for my marvel side i think this would be my book of the weekend for my independence i would stick with the main egg of new york (laughs) yeah i i felt the same way when i saw the character show up um because it it's hinted that there's this big bad that, that basically is is out to get Jessica. And I was thinking, man, who could it be? Who could it be? And then when I saw who it was, I was, you're, it, it's like a Holy crap moment. Like this right. is a big, this is a big character in terms of like power level. And I wonder like, I'm like, man, that's a lot for Jessica to have to take on. So uh, I can't wait to see what Carla Pacheco has in store. So, and I, I should also mention Carla will be joining us for an interview later this week. And that, that episode will be out next week and we'll, be diving into Spider-Woman uh, in depth and, and talking about who the character will spoil it. I mean, the episode's 
her interview won't be out till next week. So plenty of time. You got a week basically to read this. <laughs> Otherwise, you're be spoiled <laughs> if you're listening to it. But we're going to talk about that character. We're going to talk about Carla's uh, connection to Spider Woman, and uh, and I can't wait because I've been I've I've said it a hundred times, but I'll say it again. Carla Pacheco gives Jessica Drew the best and most realistic voice I think she's ever had of any writer. So it's fantastic. Uh, okay, up next I have another image title, and this is from an uh, imprint called Syzygy, which is run by uh, Chris Ryle, formerly of IDW, uh, and it's uh, adapting a story by Joe Hill, son of Stephen King, who's a, a writer, a horror writer in his own right, uh, and the adaptions by David M. Boer, who was recently uh, interviewed by myself and my daughter regarding his uh, Canto series, uh, and we talked about this a little bit uh, on that interview. Um, so David is writing Art is by Zoe Thorogood. Colors are by Chris O'Halloran. And letters are by Sean Lee. Uh, and it's called Rain. And it's based on um, a novella by Joe Hill, where basically one day in Boulder, Colorado, um, on a very hot day, it's like 90 degrees, not a cloud in the sky. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, these clouds come in and it starts raining, but it starts raining these crystal needles. Um, and they come down in a torrent. And basically like 8,000 people are killed in a matter of a couple of minutes and the storm's over. Um, so it's about the horror of that and dealing with that, the trauma and losing loved ones and, and whatnot. And um, the, the art by Zoe Thorogood is, is fantastic. It's emotional. It's just the right, you know, it, it, this could be a horrific book and it could feel gratuitous and bloody, but it never does. Um, she does a good job of, of making it look scary, but doesn't like play up the blood or, or anything like that. The other thing that she does that I really love, there's no borders on any of the panels and it gives it very much this open and free feel. Um, and I, I, man, I just, I thought it was fantastic. Like the emotion in the story, um, in this first part that's conveyed through both the, the artwork and the color as well as the narration from the main character uh, who's obviously scripted by uh, Boer is, is fantastic. Like I can't recommend this enough. Uh, I thought it was just, just fantastic. Um, I haven't like, it makes me want to go and read this short story, but at the same time, I don't want to, I don't want it to be spoiled. So I'm going to wait and finish reading the adaption of the comic. And then I'm going to go, probably read the short story. So um, yeah, I thought, I thought it was great. And I should also mention that David did tell us when we interviewed him that Joe Hill was a little re re reluctant to have this adapted because he, um, as much as he loves comics, he's always wary of having his work adapted because he, he thinks people might not do, you know, do it justice, but he was such a fan of David Boer's work Um that he agreed to it. And I'm glad he did because again, this is, this is just a fantastic story. And I don't think you need to have read or even be aware that this was a story by Joe Hill. Um, I think this just works all on its own. Um, I'm fascinated. I mean, Boer really introduces these characters, the voice that he gives the narrator, um, the way she talks and references people and uh, acquaintances and neighbors and whatnot you get the sense that she's a very intelligent, interesting character. And so you're invested on that level. And then her girlfriend, uh, 
the way that the main character talks about her girlfriend and and the the bubbly personality of her the girlfriend that comes across in both the art and the um kind of the the uh character acting like the posing and and body language that thoroughgood uses makes her makes you care about her very quickly as well so uh, it's just a really really great comic highly highly recommended uh, okay, last book for Jay is another of the Wastelanders one-shots that Marvel's been putting out. This time it's Wastelanders Black Widow, but it's not Natasha. Uh, we're told that Natasha was killed alongside her fellow uh, heroes really early in the villain uprising. So this is uh, the White Widow who's now taken the mantle of the Black Widow. So it's uh, it's Yelena. Um, so what do you think of this one, Jay? I was kind of looking forward to this one also because I've kind of liked that world of, you know, uh, Old Man Logan world in the wasteland. And they never had a story with Black Widow. So I was like, OK, I guess this her due. I guess that, that's kind of nice. It was an interesting story. Uh, you know, she's older, obviously, so she's not as fast as she used to be. And um, not to give away because you see the previews, but she's, you know, trying to find some information in a territory that's controlled by uh, the lizard. But somehow he got huge and he's now the Lizard King. So she's got to try to get there and get some information. It's good because she kind of has a lot of flashbacks, you know, how she got to that point and things she had to do to survive. And she wasn't proud of, but she had to do to do to, you know, to, to make it. The ending was kind of uh, interesting because she has a choice and she says, you know, I'm not Natasha. She just does what she has to do. And that's the way they, they end it. But it's like, you know, I, I wouldn't mind another story of this character in, in the in the Wasteland and see what happens next. But I enjoy it. The artwork was uh, great. It's got to be dark and kind of gloomy because it's the Wasteland. But it uh, it worked great for what, what they were trying to tell in the story because it's a lizard. And, of course, he's going to be in a dark, creepy place with no light. And I enjoyed that a lot, too. Yeah, this is the first story I've ever read with Yelena Belova where they didn't have Natasha in it. Not that invested in the character, but... I thought this worked and, and the brutality of the world of the wastelander uh, comes through more than anything else in the story. So uh, it's written by Stephen S. DeKnight. Well, B is the artist. Matteo Iacono does the colors and Corey Petit does letters. So it, yeah, it feels like it fits very well into that world of, of wastelanders. Uh, very brutal story. Uh, okay. Last book for me is my, my book of the week. Uh, it's Stillwater from uh, writer Chip Zdarsky. It's issue number 12. Uh, the art is by co-creator Ramon K. Perez. And we have colors by Mike Spicer and letters by Russ Wooten. And I had to give this my book of the week. I mean, there's tons of deserving books this week, but something happens on the last page of this book that had me going, holy shit, that's effing cool. And so I couldn't not give this my book of the week because... I mean, this story has been fantastic throughout. There's so many ways it could have gone. And Zadarsky, and I, you know, I was mentioned this before when I was talking about his, um, his daredevil woman without fear story and how so often it's about emotion when it comes to Zadarsky stories. And that's what this has been. There's, there's been plenty of action along the way, but this has been an intriguing, very political story that asks such an interesting question. Like what if you lived in a town and as long as you stayed in that town, you couldn't die, you know, what would happen? What would happen to the people that were in that town? What would, how far would they go to keep the secret? 
so many different conflicting ideas and ideals and personalities and, you know, battling for control of battling for the, the future, uh, battling to lead the town and make the decisions and do what they think is best. Um, and it's all become corrupted in a way by something that you normally would think of as a good thing, right? Like you, you can't die. You, you, if you're injured, you heal, you know, you shot in the head, you heal your arms cut off. It grows back. Like, you know, you think that's a good thing, but in a way um, it has brought out the worst in these people that live in this town. So just a fantastic story. And yeah, the, the twist at the end was just so damn cool. I didn't see it coming at all. Um, and that, you know, that's rare enough these days. I've read so many comics that it, it gets kind of tough to be surprised. And I was, I was surprised. And the art by Ramon K. Perez has been fantastic throughout. Again, you know, with a book like this, where it's just talking heads a lot of times, it can be a challenge to keep it visually interesting. And Perez has done a fantastic job throughout. And not only that, um, he ha- when there is action, he handles that really, really well. So I, I can't say enough about this book. Um, at times, it's felt like it's slowed down a little bit. Um, but, but the last couple issues, it's really ramped back up. Um, and the Mike Spicer colors are fantastic as well. Um, so yeah, if you're not reading Stillwater, you're definitely missing out. I don't know how long it's going to go. Um, feels like events are, and the pacing of the story is, is rolling along at a pretty fast clip now. So it feels like we could be getting close to the end, but, uh, who knows with Zdarsky, who knows what else he has planned. So, uh, definitely my book of the week, highly recommended. All right. Let me give a rundown of some other books that you might want to be on the lookout for that, that are out today. Uh, the Mark Teixeira AWA studio, uh, title knighted is up to number three of five bad idea puts out the final issue of Joshua Dysart's Odin's eye with number five over at boom studios. We've got a second printing for house of slaughter number two. So in case you missed out on that, uh, from DC, and again, you can go listen to our DC spotlight to hear about these books. We've got Batgirls number two. We've got Batman urban legends, number 11. And, and just so you guys know, every DC book that came out this week is Batman related. So very heavy Batman week, uh, continuing deck detective comics, number 1048 future state, Gotham, number nine. I am Batman. Number five, Joker, number 11, justice league versus Legion of superheroes. Number one of six. Pennyworth, number six of seven, Robin and Batman, number three, and then Titans United, number five, which is sort of the least Batman centric. You know, the Titans are led by Nightwing, who's a member of the Bat family, but maybe that one you can consider not Batman, but the rest are all heavily Batman influenced. So big Batman week over at DC. Uh, At Image, in addition to the books we talked about, we've got Inkblot, number 15, We've got King of Spies, number two. We've got Phenom X, number three. That's the uh, Latin superhero created by, created and written by uh, John Leguizamo. And I really wanted to talk about issue three. So I went to read my preview copy that they sent us. And it has the digital copy, digital preview copy they sent me has the cover of three, but the inside is, is issue two again. So, uh, yeah, that was a little frustrating because I've really been enjoying that book. Uh, we also have Scorch number one, which is the last of the debut number ones from the Spawn universe. 
uh, books from Todd McFarlane, uh, and then from Tyler Boss and Matthew Rosenberg, What's the Furthest Place from Here, number three, which I read, and that book is just weird. I don't know if I understand it. <laughs> at all uh it, it may have lost me with this last issue uh and then finally undiscovered country number 18 from scott snyder and uh, charles soul that, that that was a really good issue of undiscovered country uh, i almost talked about that but didn't want to didn't want to talk too much in this uh this episode like we tend to do sometimes uh okay for marvel in addition to the books that we talked about um we've got hawkeye kate bishop number three of five King Conan, number two of six, uh, Marauders, number 27, Savage Avengers, number 28, Star Wars, number 20, Star Wars Bounty Hunters, number 20, Star Wars The High Republic, Eye of the Storm, number one, The Thing, number three of six, X-Men Legends, number 10. Uh, And I think that's it. Let me see if there's anything else that catches my eye uh oh i should say from vault there's a new series well first of all there's lunar room number two which i've heard really really good things about and then uh there's a new series starting called we ride titans number one which is about um kaiju and you know sort of like um pacific rim right that is these kaiju that come in uh and people have to pilot these things called titans that's why it's rewrite Titans. They have to pilot these things called Titans that are uh, basically, again, like Pacific Rim. You, you have to, to go and fight off the kaiju and and protect the you know civilization, basically. So uh, there are plenty of other books. I, I'm sure Jay, you read some more obscure stuff than me. What what else is coming out this this week that you want to shout out? Uh, it's uh, Second Sight Publishing. It's called uh, These Damn Kids Number Two. It's uh... Written by Bradley Golden and writers Peter Brew and Hamlet uh, Rancho. It's pretty much uh, children of the corn type feel. It's a small town where these kids get possessed and they brutalize their families and adults in the town. It focuses on Detective Gary that has to kind of figure out what's going on, but it's pretty gory. It's good. I just like that kind of stuff, I guess, but it's good. Cool. Uh, Well, that's going to do it for this episode, everybody. Be sure you get out to your local comic shop, pick up some of these fantastic books. Uh, Stillwater, amazing. Uh, Maniac of New York, amazing. Spider-Woman, amazing. And and tons of other great books as well. So uh, we appreciate you guys joining us as always. Don't forget to check out Spawn Daily, and we'll talk to you next time. Have a good one. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.